What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. That's right, that's what it is. It's the podcast that you listen to to find out about your favorite celebrities and where they were before they were rich. I mean, effectively, that's what it is. Origin story time. Very excited about today's guest. I know a lot of people out there that are huge fans of Grey's Anatomy. Hell, my good friend Tanya and my good friend Becca do a show called Scrubbing In, which is like the whole basis is around Grey's Anatomy, which is crazy. They won a People's Choice Award for that, which I feel like they should cut that thing in half and give it to the cast of Grey's Anatomy because, you know, Grey's Anatomy is really doing the heavy lifting on that podcast. But I am excited about today's episode. So if you are a fan of Grey's Anatomy, or maybe you're a fan of Station 19, maybe you're a fan of the show Sunset Beach from back in 1997. If you're just a fan of good television, you're going to be very excited about today's guest. That's right, Jason George who is on Grey's Anatomy, will be joining us here on the Wells cast with more than 50 guests starring and 10 series regular television roles. Originally, Jason and his mentor, who apparently was a Virginia Supreme Court justice, had mapped out his career in law. And then he was like, ah, I don't know. He had a college buddy that coaxed him to take an acting class where he discovered his true calling, the career change. Oh man, it paid off when he beat out 14,000 hopefuls in a nationwide search and landed his first major acting job in Aaron Spelling's Sunset Beach. Well, now you know him. Several years on Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Ben Warren, and he turned in scrubs for firefighter gear with his new character on Station 19, all about heroic firefighters. Dude is able to move seamlessly between both series, which is very hard to do, by the way. He's also been on Mistresses, Eve, Off Center, Eli Stone, and been in a bunch of movies, so this guy's done it all. So coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to get down to the bottom. How the hell a guy who was supposed to be a lawyer became a firefighter and a doctor Well, on TV? Stick around. Jason George right here on the Wells Cast.
L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. Plus, what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews? Were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high-end skincare that is affordable, and it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. Dime has over 2 million health Happy customers and their product reviews are literally five stars. And right now through Monday, Dime has their spring into savings sale. Get 25% off site-wide. Go to dimebeautyco.com for 25% off every product on the site. That's dimebeautyco.com for 25% off. But hurry, the spring into savings sale ends Monday. Go to dimebeautyco.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. What's up? Hey! What's good? Jason George, you've got two first names. My name's Wells Adams. I got two last names. Together, we're normal, I guess. Well, I got a third name. What is a Jason Winston George. A three first names. Try full trifecta. Oh, wow. Man, that's good. I'm Wells Richard Adams, which just sounds like a law firm, you know? <laughs> so, listen, Jason Winston George, if you get into any trouble out there, you call the law offices of Wells Richard and Adams, and we'll get Wells you Richard out of that DUI, okay? Is it Wells, is it Richard, or is it Adams? Which one's going to cover my case? <laughs> well, I don't know how much money you got, all right? So we got the lead guy who is Wells, and then we got Adams who's <laughs> who just made partner, and Richard is like the clerk that we kind of throw all the, the crap cases to. Pretty certain I can only afford Richard. All right, Pretty good. certain I can only afford Richard. I got three kids in school. I'm paying for school out here. L.A. is expensive, but you're on two television shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I pop up on two. Uh, I call it one and a half. Life is pretty good right now. It's hard to get on two. I'll tell you why. Because usually when you're on one, they don't want you to do anything else because they just want you to be on the one. So how did you figure exactly. that out? Look, first off, I paid my dues because I was on Grey's. Ben showed up as a recurring character for like, uh, he was supposed to do like three or four episodes and be out. Yeah. Uh, I think he's supposed to do like Bailey Dirty and then leave. So I guested on the show as a recurring character for years. Even though I've been like playing this character for coming on 10 years, I've been like a, a guest star for like six of that. And then a couple years as a regular on Grey's Anatomy. And then they did the spinoff 
station 19. And so my down payment was a whole bunch of years where I was underpaid. Yeah. Uh, as even though they were using me like a series regular. And then finally, uh, so now they're trying to make it up to me and give me two, two times. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, what do you like better? Do you like doing grades? Do you like doing station 19? I like them, but you know what I mean? That's a hard question. I get that question all the time. And the thing is, it depends on who messed with me last, who had me doing a 2, 2 a.m. shoot last. Yeah. But no, but real talk, it's uh, it's like looking at the family you grew up with versus the family you made when you're out in the world. Like, you can't say one's better than the other. It's just one you made and the other one is like home and is a, is a you know what I mean? I go back to Gray's and it's like that warm jacket. Like, you fit right in. It's all good. It's just, you know, it's like going home and mom's cooking soup for you or something like that. It's that kind of feeling when I go back to Gray's. But... When I go back to Station 19 after being in Grace for a little bit, that's that's my house. We helped set everything up over there. Like I was there from day one. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a hard question. I imagine during these kind of crazy pandemic times, you have this connection with the medical community, and mm-hmm. and even now with Station 19 with EMTs and the, all the first responders. Yeah, first responders, real life superheroes. And I realize you're not really a doctor or you're not really a firefighter. You are an actor. But I imagine that this precarious time that we're in hits a little closer to home for you than it does for me, the wacky radio DJ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we we make a lot of friends. We have a lot of technical advisors and a lot of people that contribute that come from the medical community. I mean, on Gray's, Linda Klein has been a nurse forever. And she sent me over and I sat in on the open heart surgery. You know what I mean? And I got to talk with the doctors afterwards. And one of our regular nurses in the OR, everybody's falling in love with the Boki. This tiny, tiny little woman, I, I watched her work on this surgery as a, as a, a scrub nurse. And she, uh, it was an you know operating room nurse and she's a beast in there. She ran that joint. The doctors listened to, listen to her. Where she's so quiet when she's on set with us. So we make all these friends. And then on our show on Station 19, like our, um, our main technical advisor is the former fire chief of Los Angeles. Like he's like a fire guy. You know I mean, like, like dude gets mad respect everywhere he goes. Firefighters bow down and give him love because uh, he used to run the joint. And so we've met all these different firefighters and stuff. And so they become your friends. So yeah, I, you know, if your house is burning down and I'm in it, I'm running out the door before you do. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm ghost. But my friends are in it. And so I talk with them and this is, you know, this is just how they get down is they are about trying to save lives on the daily. That's why they do what they do. And so this whole thing has made it, you know, I'm texting them. I'm like, yo, are you good? Like, where are you at? And they're like, I'll hit you back in a minute. And I'm like, I know that means in the middle of some junk, like they can't talk right now because they're pulling somebody out of their house because, you know, there's something going down or they can't talk right now. Like my girl, Christy, who's one of the technical advisors on, a, she's our medical technical advisor on Station 19. I know she's in some place, you know, masked up and gloved up like you wouldn't believe and they all downplay what it is they do. So I try and make a point to like be their trumpet. I'm like, okay, you don't sing your own praises. I'll sing your praises. I got you because y'all are all superheroes. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's even some cool friends to make. I got a lot of respect for firemen. I, I can't imagine you, you watched it, but a couple years back I was on a reality show called The Bachelorette and we had a date where we had to go work out and like do all the trials at the the Rio Honda fired training facility and famously I almost yeah, fainted and they have that <laughs> they have this on camera where the the chief of the fire department is like we got to keep an eye on this guy he might faint they had to call an ambulance it was really embarrassing so I have a lot of respect <laughs> 
But respect for you putting it out there again. I mean, you have, you're reliving it right now with me. I give you mad respect for putting it out there again. I'm like, I would just pretend like it never happened. Oh, I would it, just deny it. People, people like, aren't you the dude from The Bachelorette? No, it wasn't me, dude. Yeah, no. I, mean, I, I got a twin brother that looks just like me. It's messed up, too, because I'm like, I'm like 160 pounds dripping wet, and I was with all these dudes who are just jacked up. One was an actual <laughs> firefighter. A couple of them were like Marines. And they they well, did I know they did, they did me so dirty, man. They gave everyone firefighter outfits that fit, and then they gave me one that was way too big, so I looked really small. Do you remember um, Spaceballs that movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the Darth Vader character <laughs> where the helmet's too big? <laughs> I see your Schwartz is almost as big as mine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I got a lot of respect for for, for firefighters and what you do on Yo, on Station 19. They're beasts. Yeah. I mean, they uh, we, you know, we've all done various versions of it, and the the worst part is when we have shot some of their workouts because firefighters are generally required to work out before they even start. They have, by it's by like nine or ten in the morning, they have to have worked out every day. Like working out is a requirement of their job, you know, and uh. We so like occasionally they'll have us do that. Like we did a couple episodes where we're doing drills and that sort of thing. And there was one time where I swear to God, we all started staring daggers at the director because he was trying to kill us. He was actually trying to kill us because we're doing sprints with hoses over our shoulder to run it down to, from one end of the barn, which is where they parked the fire trucks. You know, because back in the day it was the barn where actual horses were carrying car running the hose, which cra is crazy heavy, all the way to the other end. And then when you get to that end, you got to stop, turn around and drag the rest of the hose up with it and everything like that. Like literally, I'm not even kidding, like a few dozen times, we're all just dripping sweat. And I'm like, and then when we actually saw the episode, literally, I'm, I, I kid you not, seven seconds, seven seconds of footage. I'm like, you spent two and a half hours <laughs> destroying us. And then you was like seven, I was like, I will, I want to make you put all that footage on a loop and play it in your house for the rest of your life. Because, yeah, that is not that's not cool. That's not a good look. I wish they had done that to me. But no, sir, nothing stayed on that editing room floor. The entire <laughs> the entire shoot was just me dying. Jason, I don't know if anyone told you kind of like the idea for this show, but it's an origin story show. So I like to find out how people got to where they are now, the steps that they mm. took to become super successful and everyone has a unique it, super successful do i qualify as super successful does like i'm paying my bills but I, <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah yeah man you're on two hit shows that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll, I'll take i'll take the win i'll take the win you're not a law firm named wells richard adams but it's fine <laughs> Although that was the original plan. That was the original plan was to become a lawyer. I was doing some background research and you came from Virginia Beach. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Born and raised. My mom and uh, my brother are still right there. And I still got a lot of friends back there. What was your childhood like? My childhood was crazy. My dad was military. My mom was a teacher. And so we moved to Virginia Beach and the Norfolk Naval Base, which is right there. It's all basically one big town. Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Portsmouth is all right there, the, uh, the Hampton Roads area, is the largest naval base in the world. And so I had one teacher who was real fond of saying that, like, you know, if they ever drop the bomb, if they ever drop the, you know, if nuclear war ever breaks out, we're top 10 target. You won't get a chance to blink. Oh, and God. I'm like, you know, I'm like, dude, you stunt my growth. They're like, you don't, don't tell a 15-year-old that. Yeah. It's not a good look. But so it was a cool, it was like this, it was a huge military town. So you had all these, you know, I grew up with, you know, my, my, one of my good friends, her dad was in charge of the Pacific Ocean. But then they like everything that happened in the Pacific came underneath him. 
And then I had friends whose dad was a professional beach bum. Like he sat on the beach and surfed and uh, and like sold you know chairs that you could sit on while you know rented out chairs that you could sit on while you're at the beach. Admiral in the Navy, potential political candidate are like viable choices at the same as, you know, beach bum and, you know, skateboarding kid. Like that's the town I grew up in. So I was one of the first black kids in the school in my neighborhood. So each, me, my older brother, my younger brother each have our little, you know, have a couple, three stories of when we had to lay somebody that lay hands on somebody to establish the do not mess with me, do not test me moment and get that to stick. And so, uh, we had, you know, a crazy little uh, growing up with, you know, woods out there, the beach right there and, you know, big old ships over here and, you know, going to school. And then uh, and then I went to University of Virginia for college. UVA is a really good school. So you are obviously were a super smart kid. I was like right at the center of like all the groups at school, you know, like all the cliques. I could roll with any clique, even the like, you know, the punks and stuff, because my older brother was a a hacker back in the day, like, you know, a benevolent hacker who just like, you know, uh, and so we, we had street, I had street, a certain amount of street cred with every group. And so the smart kids would let me hang with them. I was like the dumbest of the smart kids or like one of the smarter ones of the, uh, of, of the kids, like, you know, breaking into the school at night, you know, to get, to get away with junk, you know? So, and I, and I, I did know how to break into the school if I needed to, uh, and did on one or two occasions. So it was that kind of like, I was right in the center of all that junk. So, yeah, so UVA, uh, I was in good classes and that sort of thing and kept my nose clean and uh, or didn't get caught for much, I guess I should say. And then uh, ended up going to, you know, I went to UVA and the plan was I got in tight with the Supreme Court Justice of Virginia. Wow. Uh, Justice Hassell. And his dad was the vice principal of my high school and passed away my senior year. I mean, what was cool about Mr. Hassell, the vice principal, was that he was that one that even the kids who were in school, who were always getting in trouble, loved him because he respected you as a person, even though you were screwing up, but he told, he still talked to you like, why you, what, what's up? Like, you're a smart kid. Why are we just, and you just, and then he'd like let you skip class and y'all would just talk smack all, you know, for like an hour in his office. So he and I were cool. Cause he both thought I had potential. He saw that I was like, you know, you're, you're in good classes. You're, you know, doing a couple different sports and that sort of thing, but you're also skipping to you're getting attention all the time, skipping detention. You know, what is going on with you? And uh, and when he passed away, it really hit me. And I ended up winning a scholarship in his name. And his son and I, you know, his son took a shine to me. And so the whole gig was his son was like, OK, only good grades from now on. You know, when you go to school, get the best grades you can. I'll write the recommendation for law school. We'll get you in the best law school you can. And then you come clerk for me, and then you're a made man as a lawyer in the state of Virginia. Wow. You know? and, and then I would have gone to work for Wells, Richards, and Adams. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're hiring but, uh, right now. Listen, it's very precarious <laughs> right, times. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but it was, you know, I ended up taking a, uh, an acting class that first year of uh, college, and it all went to hell after that. You know, that's that's what took the that's when I hooked the left. Was the son, the Supreme Court Justice of Virginia, was he much older than you? Yeah. So I'm like, you know, 17 yeah. years old when we got cool. And he, and he had to be pushing 40. OK, something like that. You know, he's like late 30s or something like that. Uh, he was the youngest and only the second black Supreme Court justice of Virginia, but the youngest Supreme Court justice Virginia had ever had. And then he he passed away a little bit later. He passed away mad young. I mean, he passed away like in his mid 50s or something like that. And that's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you go, you know, if he was like he was a grown up, like he was as grown up, a grown up as I ever, you know, I mean, you know, in the offices I knew. And then like I was in my mid 20s when he passed and I was like, can't be dead. Like, you know, I was like, how is that a thing? 
but that got me you know, on the whole, like, you know, you, you got to be about it now because, you know, tomorrow's not promised thing. And he didn't get to see the shining star that you became. He saw the beginning of it. And that was cool. I mean, like, you know, my dad was out of the picture for a long time. And we've since healed. And he's a really good grandpa to my kids. And, and, and we're, we're, we're back in, in sync again. But uh, he was out of the picture for a while. And Justice Hussell was like my one of my biggest mentors. Him and this other captain in the Navy, you know, Captain Labiak, were two men that I looked up to. Both of them, when I said I was going to go to graduate school to study acting, to get a Master of Fine Arts in acting, as opposed to going to law school or the captain wanted me to go to engineering school, they both were like, radio silence like just quiet they were like what the hell are you doing yeah what the hell are you doing but both of them were uh around long enough to see me first stop popping up on tv and the people that you look up to you don't want to disappoint and that, that was a big sigh of relief and then the other big laugh was when my dad started having me sign autographs people in his office <laughs> and uh <laughs> when we started getting cool again which had nothing to do with me being on tv it was all about you know he just Finally got, you know, his head back on right. And uh, we started reconnecting. And, you know, we were at my younger brother's graduation. And we were talking. And, and so I signed a couple of things for people in his office. And next thing you know, he was like, but, you know, California still has a bar association. Yeah. You can still, you can still, you know, join the bar. I'm like, I'm signing autographs people in your office, man. He was like, well, they, you know, California has a bar. And I was like, I know, Pop. And I'm, I'm in it every Friday night. <laughs> I'm up in that bar every Friday night. You have the Virginia, one of the guys sitting on the Virginia Supreme Court being like, I'm going to mentor you, come under my wing, you do this. I mean, everything's laid out for you. You are effectively a made man and you decide to pivot. Yeah. Was that a hard conversation, one, to have with yourself? Because when you're, whatever it was, 21 I don't even know how old you are at when you're making that decision. 19, yeah, like 20. 20, like 2021 when I started getting serious and decided I want to go to graduate school, something like that. Yeah. So is that a hard conversation to have with yourself? Because you don't know if that's the right career move. And then that, is that a really hard conversation to have with those people that are maybe one, like fitting the bill for you to be at school or two, just emotionally support blankets for you? Yeah, I mean, look, with myself, not really a hard conversation. I mean, look, my mom is uh, a beast. She's a she was a teacher and she's like a consummate educator. She was president of the Education Association where I grew up, the teachers union where I grew up. Uh, yeah, principals were scared of her, but she had this model. Of, it was a real she taught learning disabled kids. And so she had this whole model of working with kids is the same way she kind of raised her sons, where she would never tell you no. Mm -hmm. She would ask you questions. Until one of two things happened. Either you realized it was a really stupid idea in the first place or you had a plan. So she kind of modeled us that way. So when I start thinking about this acting thing, I'm asking myself questions, literally just preparing myself for the conversation with her. Yeah. Which therefore prepared me with the conversation with, you know, the, with Justice Assel and all these other folks in my life where I'm like, I need to have answers uh, for something that makes sense. As opposed to the standard, you know, I think I'm cute. I'm going to go to Hollywood. <laughs> That's where I figured out the, you know. I just laid out plans and I had plan A, plan B, you know, I, 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 I think I got to like plan G or something like that. So, I mean, the whole reason why I went to graduate school was because my mom was a teacher. I knew that with a graduate degree in acting, I could teach acting on the college level. So that's a great backup plan because every teacher at every college is an actor. I guarantee you they're still acting on the side. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. That's a good backup plan. You know, it's a, not an either or, it's a yes and plan, right? I was like, you know, well, okay, now I found out about the, the actors union, sag after it. I found out that that's where actors get their health insurance from, that that's where their retirement plan is. So the fact that there actually is a retirement plan and a health insurance thing, like, helped my mom chill out a lot. So I was like, 
figuring out all that stuff and also started making me start to think about, okay, how do you actually, not just, I want to be a star, but like, how do you make a career out of this? How do you, how do you actually make this into something you can do day in, day out, get up, get dressed, get my coffee, go to the office. And in my case, going to the offices, go into somebody else's office and do a five minute audition for you or whatever, you know? And eventually that turns into, let me get up, drink my coffee at 5 a.m. and roll in and, you know, play a firefighter for you all day, you know, for the next 14 hours. So it started making me actually start thinking about the nuts and bolts of how you put this thing together and start realizing that people do it. You know, they're, you know, sag after the Actors Union has, you know, 150,000 members, you know, like a hundred of them are famous. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not that many famous. Most actors are just hustling day to day and then, but find a way to make it work. And, you know, so that, that whole process that my mom made me think about since I was a, a kid for, you know, ridiculous dumb ideas we had of how we're going to get rich with a lemonade stand at the age of 10 or whatever. She was like, no, that's not really a thing, but it's good. Go ahead, go ahead, knock it out and see how it goes. You know, her, her whole process that she made us go through helped me figure out how to think through this thing. And, um, and the judge was still just silent. So that was, he was the hard conversation. So you have your buddy in college that's like, hey man, come to an acting class or come to an improv thing? Like, yeah. what got you into it? Yeah, you know, so I'm planning on being a lawyer and I had a buddy who was gonna be an architect, uh, Brian Slotik. <laughs> and, uh, and basically he was like, dude, we're gonna be like really, really boring dudes in a minute. Like we're gonna be boring, boring people in offices in a minute. So let's, let's go do some creative stuff. You know, he was a musician. He did a lot of music on the side. And so we went to this acting class. And uh, it was funny because I feel like, you know, this is the beginning of the end of our relationship. <laughs> we haven't talked. We just we, we, we just lost track of each other like you do with a lot of friends from college. But, yeah, uh, you know, the acting class was packed. And as it was, the teacher was taking, like, an extra, like, seven people into the class that he wasn't supposed to. But he was like, you know, so, so he made those seven people kind of, like, on the spot do kind of an audition kind of thing, like just improv some stuff. And uh, I made it into the class, and my boy didn't. <laughs> and and then you know, and then I did later. You know, the next semester I did the play, and he didn't. And then you know, then it, from then on, we slowly drifting apart because <laughs> he was like, "Screw you, man." <laughs> yeah. So then you fall in love with it. Were you like a super creative, imaginative kid growing up? A little undercover, a little undercover, like a lot of people do. You know what I mean? Like you know, like my brothers and I have discovered. These uh, recordings we made where we were trying to do our little own version of Star Wars on uh, on tape recorders with like whatever we could find that could make sound effects and stuff like that. You know, stuff that you try and write or whatever as a kid. You know, I, I would write these sketches in high school for like, you know, like, you know, when friends are like running for an officer, you know, pep rallies are having a way, I would write these sketches and they'd be, you know, they were funny. Like, genuinely speaking, they were funny. So we had fun with it. But then I was always like trying to be the guy behind the guy, not the guy. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't want to deal with the pressure. I like, I like to be in and be out. You know, I learned this thing that was kind of amazing. This uh, is maybe my second acting class. This one teacher, Betsy Tucker, who was like the hard ass of the department. Like she's the one that everybody was like, Betsy's going to grind you. Like, dude, if like Betsy will like, when you get a critique from Betsy, it's a wrap. Like just, just cover your groin, duck <laughs> down, hold on, right? And uh, I remember she, she had everybody coming into their office. I remember one or two people coming out like, little teary-eyed, people came out like, you know, in some kind of way. And I went in and she said to me, and she just sat me, she sat me down, she looked at me, she goes, you're, you're good at this. You could do this for a living. 
And the next sentence is the thing that I remember the day I died. She goes, you could do this for a living. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> she said, and, and I was like, I don't know what that means. And I didn't know it. And then when I finally got out here and, you know, and I got lucky, I got out here and got in the mix pretty quickly. But then like when you finally hit those spots where you're scrambling, I was like, oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I, I see you, Betsy Tucker. I see what I see what you meant. Now. <laughs> It was crazy. You finished grad school. You move out to Hollywood, I assume. And I read something where you beat out like 14,000 people for a new hit show that was going to be airing in like 1997. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like this was that was the daytime soap that I did. That was uh, Aaron Spelling was creating a new daytime soap and he was the king of primetime soaps. He like, you know. He owned every, all the big so they, they're redoing them now. Dynasty, yo, Melrose Place, yo, all of his joints. Dallas, you know, I mean, Dynasty and Dallas are back on, I think, or something like that. They're doing, they have reboots up and going. So his whole thing was, uh, I'm gonna do this daytime soap. You know, the king of soaps has come to daytime. They're like all this publicity around it, and he did basically like a like the same way American Idol started the whole model of we're gonna go to all these cities and everybody's got a shot. And then everybody who ever showed up to an audition is telling everybody they know I was almost on American Idol. And it's like you and another 150,000 people. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you really were not. But, uh, you know, it's a great marketing scheme. So he did this whole thing as a marketing scheme. And I was in Philly. I was still in grad school, actually, at the time. I was still in grad school. Uh, I had a semester and a half left to graduate. Uh, I was in my last year. And I ended up being the guy coming from Philadelphia to do the contest. And, you know, they had a guy and a woman from each thing. And it ended up being the craziest uh, slash, you know, outside of my wife, you know, getting married and having my kids, best week of my life. Because I closed the play on Saturday night, was so convinced the contest was garbage that I went ahead and partied with everybody at the after party <laughs> to like 3 and, 3 and 4 a.m., right? Then I got up at 5 a.m. to get on a flight to L.A., flew to L.A., Slept in the car all the way from the air, slept in the plane the whole way, slept in the car all the way from LAX to NBC Studios, slept in the dressing room. But I would wake up and, and I would look at the monitor and the contest is going on. And I saw other people, you know, we're waiting for our chance to do the contest. But they had other people auditioning, doing these scenes. And these were all black men and black women for what I found out later it was the one black male and one black female character on, on the show. And uh, I was like, I want to be in that. I wish I could be in that side. Because I knew that I was convinced the contest was not real. Yeah. I was like, I'm here to meet people. That's the only reason why I'm in this contest was I want to try and make a good impression, meet some folks, and then be out, right? Uh, they, in fact, they were mad at me because I didn't even, I was closing the place, so I didn't even make it for all the press they did at, like, Planet Hollywood and E.T. and all of the, like, you know, press junkets on Saturday. I was like, well, I'm working. I'm in, I'm in Philadelphia working, doing a play, so I'll, uh, I'll see you guys on Saturday. I'll be there when I get there. And they're like, who the hell is this kid? And I'm just like, yo, I'm just doing what I do. Um, so I did the contest on Saturday, on Sunday, and ended up like having a really good time in it. And then they walked out and said, yo, and I've since found out the other side of the story was the executive producer of the soap literally was going to lunch, was not paying attention to the contest, came back into his office to grab something. The TV happened to still be on. The sound happened to be on. And he saw a little bit of the audition, stopped and watched it, and then had them go give me the audition for the, the black male role on the show. So 20 minutes later, I'm doing that audition with Sherry Som, who's one of my dearest friends. I still to this day say, you know, and she's like, 
had a great career. She's like the mom and the fosters. She just did an episode of Grey's Anatomy the other day. We got each other the job. Like we literally, they, they saw the show like right there in that moment. They're like those two, that's, that's a, that works. That works, that chemistry's popping. So we got a job and like, so that was on Sunday. Monday, I flew back to LA. I mean, flew back to Philly where I was going to grad school at Temple University. Uh, Wednesday, I'd gotten a small, super small role as college kid <laughs> in a, a Denzel Washington movie called uh, Fallen. And that was like my first, that's how I got my, I tapped Heartlead, which is you got, you got one time where you can do it for free. That's how I got my union card Yep. Um, for SAG. And then Thursday, I flew to Los Angeles, and Friday, I was doing a photo shoot with Sherry on the beach, living in Los Angeles, and I've been in Los Angeles ever since. Wow. Uh, so literally, my entire life turned in that one week, and got my, uh, got my card in the union and everything. So it was a crazy, crazy week, and random as all hell. And then I was, uh, I was afraid of not getting my, my degree, my MFA that I'd fought for, and convinced everybody I was going to get. And so I had three credits left. It's like with the program, you get you graduate with like so many more credits than you need officially by university standards. Like, so I was three credits away from like what the university required minimum, bare minimum. So I came back and gave a talk as like my thesis to uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so I came back and gave a kind of dissertation talk, got my degree, and then I remember my brothers beat the crap out of me because. I went to the date, was it the daytime Emmys or the soap opera? I went to the soap opera digest awards in New York later on in May was at that Friday night and then drove down to my graduation the next morning from, uh, from grad school was late to my own graduation. Cause I was out partying the night before <laughs> um, and my brothers were like, you disgust me. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have an agent at this, at this time? Like when you're no. do, okay. So you, so you booked this show without representation what was the call like it was a contest in a mall dude like they had like every they had like they they said they wanted like 18 to 24 young yo yo this anything there were 45 year old dudes in there with like guts hanging to the ground everybody showed up to try and audition for this thing yeah i freelanced with some modeling agencies in uh you know in in town and they kind of did the deal. They got their lawyer. They still didn't know what they were doing because yeah. they weren't used to dealing with like, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood. They're used to dealing with, you know, but uh, so because, you know, that's just how you try to get like commercial work in Philly and that sort of thing. So literally, I will never forget. Uh, I was sitting in my apartment in Philly. My boys, we were literally uh, we were planning on going out and grabbing uh, dinner later on. But first, my boy Brady was bringing over. Brady brewed his, his own beer. So Brady rolled in with like a whole bunch. He's like, you guys going to help me bottle up the beer real quick. <laughs> and I got this call. My eyes like my eyes got crazy. And I stepped out of the room and I'm talking. There was a tail end of the conversation where they explained to me that like, yo, you need to move to L.A. I look. Brady's just pouring his beer down the drain because he knows it's not getting bottled tonight. Everybody's getting their coats and hats on. And they're like, we're going out. And so like, the, before the phone call was done, they were already taking me out to like, you know, run streets because they were like. You're going to be on TV. Yeah, that's awesome, by the way. It blew my mind. You know, I mean, it's like I, I was convinced the whole thing was garbage. I was just trying try to meet some folks and then, you know, in the right place at the right time because they were not trying to give anybody a role. They planned on giving somebody a couple of lines. And so if he had not walked in his office and the TV hadn't been on and the sound hadn't been up, I'd be the best waiter in New York City right now, uh, <laughs> hunkering down. And they have the bar in California, just so you know. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so you have booked this big Hollywood television show with Aaron Spelling out of 14,000 people. 
the show comes and goes, and I want to find out what happens next. But first, we've got to take a quick break. Stick around. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. Plus, what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews, were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high-end skincare that is affordable, and it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. Dime has over 2 million happy customers and their product reviews are literally five stars and right now through monday dime has their spring into saving sale get 25 percent off site-wide go to dimebeautyco.com for 25 percent off every product on the site that's dimebeautyco.com for 25 percent off but hurry the spring into saving sale ends monday go to dimebeautyco.com you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. All right, back here on the Wells cast, got Jason George on the show. You know him from Grey's Anatomy, Station 19. We were just talking about you booking this kind of huge Aaron Spelling show, beating out like 14,000 auditions to get this gig. The show comes and goes. Then what happens next? How long until Grey's Anatomy comes along? What was cool was, again, he had a new primetime show coming on and basically just kind of like skirted me into it. Uh, like literally, I remember thinking, like, "Oh, this is easy. Anybody can do." Because I mean, I went into audition, and I'll never forget because it was funny because I was actually auditioning for another show at the same time that I really wanted the show, like called Titans. It was bad, you know. People people laughed at the upfronts at it, and they tried to play it off like it like they meant for it to be that over the top and crazy. Yeah. And it's like, no, y'all were dead serious. You know, <laughs> it was it was just crazy. It was just bad. But I like auditioned for the director and the writer, and that was it. The two dudes in the room, and 45 minutes later, I had a job. I'm number 11 on the call sheet, you know. They're paying me all, you know, five bucks or whatever, but, you know, you know, relatively speaking, but, you know, but I had a primetime series regular gig. But the funny part was, at the same time, I was auditioning for this other thing that I really wanted, that was dope, that was basically meant to be, like, basically to play, you know, Lenny Kravitz, superstar musician who just wants to find real love and is trying to find, like, you know, like somebody who wants him for him, not for the superstar. And that was like this whole interesting, cool thing. And at some point, the the audition, you had to like get up on stage in front of like, you know, 10,000 extras or whatever, you know, something crazy. It was just a big, big project, right? 
uh, and I was like mad geeked out on it. And uh, I was supposed to, the day that they told me I booked the spelling prime time thing, because he basically said, he's the guy, unless you hate him, give him the job. I went in and auditioned for this other thing. I was supposed to go in and audition for this other thing that I really wanted. And so, I, so when they offered me the spelling thing, I said, that's fantastic. Can I tell you tomorrow? Because I just want to see how this other audition went. And they were like, no, you got to tell us now. Wow. And I said, okay, then, um, then no. And so I turned down the straight up offer, basically, because I was like, I didn't, you know, if I wanted, to, if I wanted safety and security, I, I'd have been a lawyer. Yeah. Right. I was like, so we're going to do it. Do it. Do the damn thing. So I turned down the, the sure thing and went to the audition the next day, didn't get it, then immediately said, call spelling back. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, but they, they took me back and, uh, and I jumped on that show. The spelling show went on air. The other show never went anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got my, you know, and nobody wants to hire you in Hollywood to do anything until you've already done that job. It's that catch 22. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hire you as a guest star until you've been a guest star. Nobody wants to hire you as a series regular until you've been a series regular. So Spelling, you know, I did that show as bad as it was. It put primetime series regular on my resume. And so so suddenly I was, you know, vettable. You know, you, know, you, could, you could vet me for other shows uh, to go in and try and do stuff. And so uh, then, you know, and that was a great time. That show was, like I said, crazy. You know, when it got canceled, I was sitting at dinner at Chinchin with my wife, eight messages from my manager and my agent. And I was like, I listened to the first message. He was like, I don't know if you heard yet, but give me a call. Don't worry about it. We got this. I was like, Hey, baby, I think the show got canceled. Listen, I'll have the Mugu guy pan. I was like, so done with the show. I was like, so just ready for the next. Um, because I was like, I got what I wanted out of it. It got me that, that series regular credit. Yep. And then, uh, you know, I went from there and I did a show with uh, that to this day is like my graduating class in Hollywood. It was like John Cho, Eddie K. Thomas, Sean McGuire. Like, these are still my boys to this day that like, you know, in fact, I was FaceTiming with Sean and then last night just having drink so actually we're going to get together this weekend on zoom in the pandemic and just chop it up and catch up but that show was basically it was like this guys guys show where they're like you know every episode a playboy you know playmate was like guest starring on the show and you know and it was like a ridiculous time in our 20s and it was like the best two-year gig i've ever had we did like a season and a half of that thing those are still like my best friends in this town because it was insane that gig and we were like we got paid to just go it was a sitcom and to just go party and then the funny part was like everybody was so stupidly talented on the thing i mean John's gone on and done great stuff. Sean's been working nonstop. Eddie was coming from, you know, uh, the American Pie shows and everything like that. And the producers of the show were Danny Zucker, who's one of the main writers on Modern Family. Yeah. Paul and Chris Weitz, who then went on, like, while we were still shooting the show, they got nominated for an Oscar for, about a for writing about a boy. You know, they've gone on and done so many other things. You know, Chris wrote one of the Star Wars movies and... We all still get together once a year or something like that. You know, we'll grab dinner. And we're all laughing about the fact that we did this, like, idiotic show that was, you know, dudes running around in their underwear, you know, ch chasing women, just ridiculous stuff. So it's, uh, that, that was the one where I was like, okay, maybe I will, maybe there's some longevity here. Wait, what was the name of the show? It was called Off Center. How long between that show till you get on Grey's? Yeah, I mean, it was a while. Like, I banged around from a bunch of different shows and uh, worked with some, you know, super, you know, some mad talented people who, again, you know, you know, you know, the typical thing, 10 years to be an overnight success. You know, I did a show with John Ridley 
uh, back in the day. And I knew in the moment, I was like, this dude's going to win some award. I just don't know if it's an Emmy or an Oscar. And it ended up being an Oscar before that. And so it was probably, I'm going to say 10 years between something like that before I started popping up on Grays between the, between the two. I did a pilot for Shonda. I was the dark horse for the pilot. Like there were, uh, there were the dudes who were better known and, uh, and that sort of thing. So I just went in the room and laid it on the floor. I think I, I'm pretty certain I actually, they had us up on a little bit of a stage. You know, the, the small screening rooms they have for the, uh, the studio execs. They have like, you know, it's like theater seating, but it's only like, you know, 40 seats or whatever. And like a, a little bit of a stage area down there. You know, it's a, a screen. I remember I was on the little stage and I think I jumped off the stage <laughs> to like get hold of the woman who was reading opposite me or something. I just left it all on the floor kind of thing. So by the time it was done, I, I somehow got the pilot away from these people who were ahead of me and the pilot didn't go, but I think I'm one of like four or five people from that pilot that stayed in the grays, like Sarah Drew, who did grays for like, you know, six or seven years uh, was on that pilot. Martin Henderson, he and I did another Shonda Rhimes show together. And then he came on the Grays for a little bit. He was on that show. Kim Raver was on that show. So that was one of those pilots that even though it didn't go, Shonda Land pulled a bunch of folks that like, you're going to be in this world someplace. We'll figure out where. I did that. It didn't go. I did a, another series that went for just one season, like 13 episodes for Shonda. When I auditioned for that pilot called Off the Map, uh, that show that went for just a, a half a season. They just brought me on to Grays to do a quick guest spot, just like three episodes, playing this anesthesiologist who you know wants to date Bailey for a little bit. And so it was totally like you know the show off the map was supposed to be the thing. That's going to be my big entrance into Shondaland. That's how I'm going to become a you know something that means something on TV or whatever. And and sure, I'll show up for a couple episodes and play this the anesthesiologist. Why not? The the myth that I've heard is that he was supposed to do Bailey dirty after like three or four episodes and then be done. And Shonda, in her infinite wisdom, and somehow she has this knack for doing this, she was like, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's let it percolate. Let's let it roll into next season and we'll see what happens. Then the show ended up not coming back for another season. So then they brought me back as the anesthesiologist and I was hanging out. But then I booked another show to be a series regular on. So I'm just guest starring as, as, as Ben on Grey's. And so I went and did this other show uh, because Shonda, Shonda, she was like, well, I don't want to lose him on our show. So I got to still keep playing Ben, even though I was doing this other show, Mistresses, for ABC. Because it was all ABC, yeah. and because Shonda's who she is in the world, let alone the ABC orbit, she, you know, she, she didn't like to share her toys. So she was like, you know, uh, he stays in the show. They were like, yes, ma'am, he stays in the show. And so I got to keep hanging out on Grey's, even though I was doing other shows the entire time. So the, for like half my time on Grey's, I did off the map while I was uh, st recurring on Grey's. I did Mistresses while I was recurring on Grey's. I did Eastwick or Witches of East End while I was recurring on Grey's. Like, you know, and I was like, any minute now, they're going to stop letting me do Grey's. But like, they kept, they, they, I just get, they just kept letting me come back. So I was like, if y'all going to let me come back to Grey's, I'm going to keep coming to hang out. So, and then finally I became a regular on Grey's and then, you know, they called and said, you want to do this other show. How did you feel about that? Because Grace is such a, is a cultural phenomenon. It's this 7 million ton train going on the tracks. Are you nervous about taking that on or, or are you pumped about it? Dude, when they first called me, I honestly thought I was getting killed. Because, you know, you, you get a call and they say, yeah, Shonda Rhimes wants to talk to you. Yo, Shonda Rhimes and Betsy Beers want to speak to you this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Will you be available? You're afraid that call, that call is going to be about, oh, sorry, we're killing Ben off. But we'll keep looking out for other things for you, maybe. You know what I mean? But you're a nice guy. Yeah, so I was freaked out when I got the call, but they were like, yo, we're doing this firefighter spinoff. We want Ben's character to jump over. And we talked about that for a while. 
And I was like, I got to marinate on this because I, I was really excited about the opportunity to be on the ground floor of one of Shonda's shows. But Grey's Anatomy is a sure thing. Like, that thing will never end. Like, Grey's Anatomy will end the day after Ellen Pompeo decides that she's done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it will just keep going because the fans are the most loyal fans and the best fans in the face of the universe. So I was like, I'm leaving a sure thing to go try this thing out. And there was a little bit of, you know, pinky promise of, well, look, you know, Gray's not going anywhere in the next five minutes. So, you know, and this fire, this fire station is just down the street from that hospital. So if the firefighter thing doesn't work out for, if the firefighter show doesn't work out, then we'll just say the firefighter thing didn't work out for Ben and you can come back uh, into the hospital. So basically it was like having my cake and eat it too. So I was like, so I'm good. You know, and then I got to relax a little bit about that. Station 19 airs Thursdays on ABC. What do you think is the thing that has made you be so successful in the entertainment industry? Can you boil it down to like a one thing? Somewhere between don't be an asshole and try and make every place you work better for you being there. You know what I mean? Mentors that came across in my life who always kind of had their own version of that thing. Like, you know, if you show up, the place needs to be better off when you leave. I try to stick to that, don't always succeed, but I think in Hollywood, so much is based on insecurity and fear. If I get something, I need to hold it all for me and screw all of you. If we're shooting the scene together, I'm gonna try and make myself look as good as possible. And if you get camera time, that's fine. And the way I was taught as a person and the way I was taught as an actor was be there for the people around you. If I try and throw, if serve my partner in the scene, my scene partner, great stuff, then they'll rocket it back at me. You know, it's like two tennis players. Like, you know, it's like, if I can rocket you a great serve that's right to you and you can pop it back at me, then we get a great rally going. And now we got something going better than if I was just trying to do my thing. I feel like that on camera, but the same kind of idea behind the scenes. Like, you know, I show up at the union to try and make life better for other actors. And I feel like I try and make sure I take care of my family first and foremost. I mean, I've turned down jobs. I mean, that, that job in Hawaii for Shonda, I tried to turn it down at first because I was like, it's a Shonda Rhyme show, it's gonna go. And I'm gonna be 5,000 miles away from my family at a point when my kids really needed me around because they were just starting school, you know? Uh, just starting school and starting preschool. I was like, this is a really big, important year where everybody's kind of learning how to do this thing. I need to be around. So I tried to turn it down. And eventually she was like, what do you need? And I said, I need to figure out a way to make it work for my family. And they they were like, oh, well, why, just say that to me. And I think the fact that Shonda realized that she's never said this to me, but I feel like when she realized that I was trying to take care of my people, that made her want to take care of me. Instead of just like, I'll make it work, screw my family. I'll make it, I'll, you know, I'll make it work, screw the people in the scene with me. I think that those are the things that made her go, I'd like to see you win. And I feel like that's with other people that I've worked with, I got the same kind of response where if you show up, you're good at your job, you're not an asshole, and you try and make life better for everybody in front of the camera and behind the scenes, try and move the needle, then uh, people will kind of want want you to be a part of their mix. I got a couple of minutes left with you. Do you have time to do uh, rapid fire questions? Bring it. All right. Rapid fire questions with Jason George. Here we go. What is your favorite book? Favorite book? Wow. Um, oh, I wasn't ready for that. Rapid fire. I'm so not rapid fire right now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, you know, pick any of the uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, any of the Walter Moses book. Devil in a Blue Dress. Who was your first kiss? Jennifer Lacey. Everyone always answers that with first name and last name, and I love that. Because it's locked in. Yeah. First concert you ever went to? In Living Color. What am I saying? Living Color. 
There. In Living Color was the show. Living Color was the band. Yeah. What was your first job? Ah, best job ever. Like even more than some of my acting jobs. I was a vendor at Met Park, the uh, farm league for the Mets, uh, the Tidewater Tides. I, I was popcorn, peanuts, <laughs> ice cold coke. That was the greatest job ever. You ever see the movie uh, Caddyshack? Yeah. It was like Caddyshack, except for we were uh, at a baseball park. Yeah. Like ridiculous, ridiculous times. You need to turn that into a show, man. Oh, yeah. That that needs to be a show big time. Celebrity that you're mistaken for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember the first time, back, especially back doing the soap, uh, Shamar Moore was doing it as well. So people were like, aren't you Shamar Moore? Because they were just seeing a black dude who was on, like, I know I was recognizing you black dude from daytime. So a couple times I was like, yeah, I'm Shamar Moore, screw you. And I just like knock stuff over and like run out. Shamar Moore, bitches, and just like run away. Who would you call to get you out of jail? If not my wife, well, th well, yeah. Th there are certain times where I probably call my brother Jarvis George or Sean McGuire. And then after that, call Wells, Richard, and Adams. We'll get you out of anything. <laughs> Wells, Richard, and Adams. We'll fight for you. <laughs> Jason, George, thank you so much for being on the Wells cast. You were a pleasure to interview. Your story is crazy. Thank God it all worked out because you could have been you know I mean? on the Supreme Court in Virginia. <laughs> That's a ballsy move, dude, but that's really, really cool. One path, Supreme Court of Virginia. Next path, you the best waiter in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then, uh, but fortunately, I, cho I chose door number three. So, yeah, hanging out in Shondaland for the last few years. Everyone watch Station 19 again Thursdays on ABC and, of course, Grey's Anatomy. Is there anything that you want to promote that I didn't talk to you about or ask you about? No, no, no. That was fun. That was fun. All right, man. Thanks so much. Be safe out there. And hopefully, yeah, we'll all get back to work soon. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Take care, man. Later. Whoa. Can you imagine? My mother would kill me if I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> I want to go be an actor. She'd be like, dude, what? That's ballsy, man. Right? He knew what he wanted and he went and did it. And man, did he ever. Also, I like that my last question about like, why do you think you're successful was basically the answer that I gave of like, come to set, be on time and be fun to work with, you know? And you can use that in any part of your life, which I think is cool. That was awesome, dude. Jason Winston George. That dude is seriously talented. That was fun. All right, you guys, be safe out there. Enjoy the rest of the week. And we'll see you next week with another episode of the Wellscast. Subscribe to Wellscast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.